0: Hi, I'm Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio. Did you know that the word jihad means effort, struggle, striving? And that's what we're doing here. We're making effort, struggling, and striving to discover the truths about the things that the corporate-controlled mainstream is not admitting. If you like this kind of radio, you can subscribe at truthjihad.com. Just click on the subscribe at substack link. You'll get early access and... Downloads.
1: The key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting, stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. What's your important question? I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm.
0: Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was 9 uh, 11 was itself. <laughs> Okay. This is the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Garrett, broadcasting from an undisclosed location deep in the Wisconsin woods. And today is a, a very special day to be doing this show. It is May 13th, 2022, which is the 105th anniversary of the Miracle of Fatima. A miracle of Fatima, in case you've forgotten, was that apparition in Fatima, Portugal, seen by three children, one of them became Sister Lucy, as she's sometimes known, and it led to a huge uh, to-do in the Catholic Church and in global politics. So tonight, in commemoration of the Miracle of Fatima, I'm talking to two of our leading experts on this topic. In the second hour, Dr. Peter Cherznowski of SisterLucyTruth.org will be coming back on. And here in the first hour, we're very pleased to have on Truth Jihad Radio, Gary Jufri. He's the author of the forthcoming book, The Plot Against the Pope. And he is credited by pretty much everybody, the mainstream, Wikipedia, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as the foremost proponent of the Siri thesis that the Vatican was taken over by a Freemasonic coup d'etat in 1958. And that coup may have had something to do with the third secret of Fatima. So let's get into it. Hey, welcome, Gary. It's good to have you. Good to talk with you, Kevin. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's amazing to me how this, uh, this different lines of research from people starting out in different places sometimes end up converging. And my way of looking at a whole lot of things has converged with you, yours and uh, a fair number of other people who consider themselves traditional Catholics and this uh, Fatima issue is very much at the heart of where uh, i guess the the church has uh, kind of gone into a, a conflict and the world is is in, in a bigger conflict and now we're seeing the beginning of what many people suspect could turn out to be world war three uh aka armageddon uh in ukraine so maybe we i don't know quite where to start these are huge issues maybe you could introduce yourself and discuss how did you become the foremost proponent of the so-called Siri thesis uh, about the coup in the Vatican? Well,
1: uh, I don't claim that title. There are other people that had come before me on this, such uh, uh most notably uh Louis Hubert Remy. He was the one that really uh, broke this story uh, at least uh, by nineteen eighty five he had broken it wide open, although other authors had talked about it. the 1980s actually i had been alerted that something like this might have happened as far back as 1974 uh during a traditional catholic conference that was being held at houston uh but um, it wasn't until remy's article came out entitled uh cardinal siri could he be the pope uh which um appeared in the Sangre de Cristo news notes, which was a privately produced newsletter by Father Daniel Jones in the Westwood of Colorado, is the first English translation of of uh, Louis Remy's article, which first appeared, I think, in 1986 in the um, French journal Sous-le-Bonnière, under the banner. And it it, it was a um, an, an account of three men that went to interview cardinal siri in genoa before he was before he was forced into retirement um uh francois delay the marquis de la Franqueray and of course louis Remy went to see him and using very diplomatic jargon they just asked him finally point blank are the rumors about your election and overthrow as the pope are they true And uh, Siri really wouldn't answer the question. He just said, I'm bound by the secret. The secret is horrible. Many terrible things have happened. I could write books about the different conclaves at which I was present, but um, I can say nothing. So he wouldn't deny it. And so um, uh, they added that certain people had uh, talked to him at other times and and, uh, had... uh, uh, he had confirmed to them that yes he was elected a matter of fact i i had actually interviewed his his uh, niece some years ago in italy and uh sh- she basically said the same thing and and uh and uh, she had known that he was pope but uh, she, she was terrified she matter of fact um she would hardly speak to me above a whisper she was so afraid of um uh, you know who was listening even in her own home so uh this has been shrouded in mystery for a long time, and, and of course it's it's generated a lot of uh, very negative reaction by people who uh, want to perpetuate the status quo in the Vatican of this uh, 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 auto-demolition that's been going on by the uh, anti-church that was installed once the rightful pope uh, was elected and then overthrown, and this... Uh, Destruction is going on unabated up to the present time, now 64 years later.
0: And, and remind people about that papal conclave in 1958 where the white smoke would be released to signal that a pope had been selected, black smoke would signal that a pope hadn't been selected yet, and, and tell people uh, what happened there.
1: Well, um, I was tipped off that there was a former Vatican official who knew all about it. His name was Father Jean-Marie Charroux. At the time that I caught up with him, he was offering the Latin Mass at St. Ethel Rita's Church in Ely Place, London. I went to see him uh, in July 1993, and I asked him what happened. He said, well, um, on the fourth ballot on the first day of the conclave, that would have been uh, on 26 October 1958, uh, Siri." Uh, received the required number of votes after uh, turning down the the honor at two or three previous scrutinies earlier in the day. Finally, on the on the fourth ballot, he received. Uh, so we've come to believe from different things that have been written about it a unanimous vote. As a matter of fact, we've gleaned that from series writings himself and. Um, and once a, a candidate receives a unanimous vote for the papacy, he cannot decently refuse the, the, the office because it is uh, uh, the belief uh, among uh, the churchmen that it would be the unmistakable will of the Holy Ghost that he be the, the, the new head of the church. So he accepted office, according to what uh, Father Charu told me. And even announced that he would be known as Gregorius the Seventeenth, and the uh, cardinals began to line up and and um, and to pay their first obeyances to him, where they would kneel and kiss his ring and everything. And uh, as that was going on, and of course this was no this was no surprise to them, he was a hands down favorite going into the conclave. Uh, my grandmother had given me a, a copy of a sunday pullout section from the houston chronicle called the american weekly and it clearly stated there in in an article written by jim bishop the author of the famous book the day that christ died this article was um, entitled who will be the next pope and it clearly uh, identified cardinal joseph siri as the most likely uh, cardinal to be elected as the successor to pope pius XII. (laughs) so my uh, gathering of uh, Information on this it goes back to 1957. I'd give you a little idea how old I am. So, but anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but I didn't hear anything more about it until 1974. And then uh, uh, when um, uh, Paul VI died, uh, Luciani was elected as uh, John Paul I, and then he was dead after 34 days, and they had another Not Quite mi-
0: mysteriously.
1: <laughs> right it's like right. that, that that's an interview all by itself. but yeah. Yeah, we'll do that, that another time they had a second they had a second uh, conclave and boy the, the newspapers in Houston were predicting serious election time could be right for Vatican's eternal second runner read one of the articles um uh another another uh, article this was on the front page of the Houston Chronicle said um uh, Conservative cardinal denies he's a reactionary, and uh, there was a lot of pushback by the really liberal element. But this really didn't tell the whole story, as I will I will get to in a minute here. But in any case, a threat was brought to bear in 1958 after he had accepted the the office to which he was elected and chose the name he would he would want to be called by as pope uh that really ended the conclave conclave was over at that point what happened afterwards was following the lawful election of the pope a threat was brought in against the newly elected pope the threat was the the um uh was delivered as a uh the dropping of a, of a hydrogen bomb on the vatican unless he beforehand uh abdicated now, now,
0: do we have any idea, like, who delivered this threat and how it was delivered? Because that kind of boggles the imagination.
1: Well, the actual uh, messenger was the, the B'nai B'rith. And they gave it to uh, Cardinal, um, I guess it was, I can't recall now if it was Cardinal Bea or, or, uh, or, um, or Cardinal Leonard, But it, it was, I think it was Cardinal Leonard cardinal leonard i think it was uh no i'll tell you what who i'll tell you who it was um it was it was actually the the uh the dean of the sacred college of cardinals cardinal tisserant cardinal tisserant was the one who uh was given that 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 message and and uh, and this was delivered to to the new pope and um well in the meantime
0: no, no. They, they, there would be a reason for people to take this seriously. Like, that that's just, it seems very strange. And did they have some kind of prior intimation that something like this could happen?
1: Well, it could be, because on, uh, I think it was May 17, 1957, the U.S. began an unprecedented number of hydrogen bomb tests at the Nevada test site outside of Las Vegas. And at the same time, the Soviets were likewise conducting huge uh nuclear explosions so much so that they were criticized by um andrei sakharov who was one of their nuclear scientists and he said what what are we doing we we got we learned all we needed to know from the first uh uh, explosion we don't need to do this another six or seven times all we're doing is uh uh is is making our you know land and water and air toxic and so uh but of course he he could get away with that because he was so important to the soviet nuclear research but uh the u.s continued these these um uh, nuclear tests and there's an interesting, interesting series of front page articles on the um i mean uh the newspaper that's um published there in, in uh, Las Vegas showing uh, the information about the uh, preparations being made for the conclave in Rome. And on the other side of the front page, you'd see a big mushroom cloud. And every day, some big bomb was going off at the Nevada test site. Every single day as they were leading up to organizing the conclave. So they, they had... Um, the death of pope pius the ninth on october 9th and then um preparations began right away they of course they had the funeral of the pope and interesting enough john foster dulles who was credited with having overthrown more heads of state than any other man has ever lived uh, if you if you ever read the book overthrow by stephen Kinzer, and in, in the sequel to that book the brothers which was also by Kinzer, about um, John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, who was head of the CIA. Uh, It told about all the different regime changes that they had carried out all over the world. Well, (laughs) this was the mother of all regime changes, the overthrow of the Pope. And there's there's a a State Department document circulating around. It's all over cyberspace, in which it's very obvious that the... um, uh, the State Department did not want to see Cardinal Siri running the church. Uh, and uh, so this, this set the stage for some kind of interference. However, and this is what people don't understand about this. They actually wanted him elected. And then that would give time for him to be overthrown before his identity was known to the outside world because Once he was overthrown illegally, if they proceeded to a second election, the second election would be illegal and invalid. In other words, the second election of some other cardinal, somebody handpicked by them. Now, why do I say that? Well, you see, it doesn't matter whether you believe this or I believe it. These enemies of the church believed that if they elected somebody invalidly, then he would not be protected by the Holy Ghost against teaching uh, heresy and error from the chair of Peter, from the top of the, of the church's commanding heights. So uh, he purposely allowed one cardinal to be elected. Then he's overthrown by the threat of the H-bomb of the Vatican, thereby making his, his tacit abdication totally invalid, as per Canon 185, and making the second election totally invalid, as per Canon 2390, canons refer to canon law, church law, and they knew this. And there's even a place in, um, in St. James where he says, the devils in hell also believe and do tremble. Whether or not we believe that it works that way, these people obviously believe it. And he went through all the motions of allowing a pope to be lawfully elected, and some of the Freemasons who occupied positions within the conclave, I mean, there were several cardinals who we now know were Masons, they actually voted for Siri. They wanted him to accept so that they could uh, then overthrow him and then vitiate the conclave, uh, uh, totally uh, um, skewing the, the, the results and putting on somebody who was a complete fake, complete fraud. And, and that person, of course, was Angelo Roncalli, who took the name John 23rd, who wasn't even eligible to be Pope. The guy had already been um, fired from his post at the Gregorian Seminary in 1925 uh, for being suspected of the heresy of modernism. But it was never brought out publicly, so he was sent off to a diplomatic post in Bulgaria where it was thought he wouldn't harm the church. But he did come back to do great harm to the church and and the harm he he did was called the second vatican council which he which he called on the 25th of uh, january 1959 and from that sprang just uh, uh, a uh, cornucopia of evils with the, which is uh, menacing uh the the catholic religion to this day and so but you know, he, he was old guy, and he, he only lived about four and a half years. So they repeated the whole process at another conclave in 1963. And again, Siri was elected and again overthrown, and this time his invalid replacement was a man named Giovanni Battista Montini. And he was there for 15 years, and he did massive damage to the church, changed all the sacraments, Uh Substituting the, the form of the sacraments that had been in use since the time of the apostles with new invalid form, you some of which had been condemned 500 years before at the Council of Trent. And then um, he died after doing so, his work. So that. That
0: 1963 coup, that was, that was the one, that's the 1963 coup that most people haven't thought of. Uh, we all know about the other 1963
1: coup. Well, for a while, they're right. <laughs> You're talking about the coup d'etat in dallas
0: in w- in w- yeah in which are our, uh, our, our only catholic president because i don't think i really count biden <laughs> was, uh, no. was overthrown no i'd be shot in the
1: face in broad daylight I- yeah. right but um the uh, as bad as that was the overthrow of the pope was infinitely worse because it affected uh, the entire world and uh, of course I-, I would have to say also that uh, the overthrow of president kennedy who, in many ways, we might consider uh President Kennedy to have been a mixed bag, but he was trying to be president, and he was he was determined to take back the reins of power from this um, this invisible government that was really trying to run the the show and of course, they took total control after he was killed yeah, but he, he um, gave that
0: famous conspiracy speech right we're we're faced with this uh you know this huge conspiracy. And uh, that's been a tough one for the establishment people to explain away. They they say he was talking about communism, and yeah, I think that was part of it, but I don't think that was all of it.
1: No, and and uh, I know what you're talking about. It was his address called "The President and the Press" that was given to the Washington Press Club at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel on 27th of April 1961. Wow, very you're pretty very good. very soon <laughs> in his presidency. You can go to the um um. You can go to the Kennedy Library website and you can hear it live. I mean, it's crystal clear. And he's saying that um, he said, uh, We, um, as Americans, have an abhorrence to uh, secret societies and secret oaths. Well, this was a shot across the, the bow toward Freemasonry, which was um, the forerunner to communism. And so just that speech alone was sufficient to get Kennedy killed. Mm-hmm. And but the Freemasons had a they uh they had an agenda, and I have to uh, combine that with um, with uh, Talmudic Judaism because uh, Freemasonry came from Talmudism. Uh, and and so you would
0: you basically agree with the thesis that there's been a, a struggle between different religions and religious communities going way back, and that Freemasonry, to a large extent, was. Created and steered by a certain group of Jews or people coming out of the Jewish community, and it's mainly it was mainly designed to control and or destroy Christianity as a rival power.
1: Yes, and um, as it is often said, uh, that Freemasonry is Talmatic, Talmatic, uh, Talmudic Judaism for non-Jews, and they right. basically they, they don't like do Islam
0: much either, by the way. <laughs>
1: Well, no, and, and their plan ultimately is to have um, World War III with uh, uh, Christian armies fighting uh, uh, Islam on the battlefield.
0: Mm, I can see 9-11 uh, took them a long way towards that goal. Didn't yes, it?
1: yes, it did. Yes, it did. And uh, until they were stopped in Syria by a confluence of the uh, uh, Syrian Arab army, Hezbollah militia, Iranian Special forces, Iraqi special forces, and the Russian Air Force. And that combination, uh, killed, killed, uh, the, 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 uh, ISIS advance across Syria. And, um, the man that was primarily responsible for organizing the defeat of ISIS was General, uh, Qasem Soleimani. He was, he was a uh, Muslim, obviously. He was from, uh, uh Iran. He was the third highest man in the government. But he was hailed from Christian pulpits all over Syria as having been the rescuer of Christians in Syria. And, of course, uh, shamefully, he was murdered by Donald J. Trump on January 3rd, 2020, uh, on his way to peace talks between Saudi Arabia and Iran and, and um, uh, Somalia. In, uh, well, blessed be the peacemakers,
0: but sometimes the devil uh, shoots them down.
1: Yeah, it wasn't meant to be that day. And, uh, that was a terrible, terrible mark on this country's, uh, history. And, uh, so in any case, uh, that's, 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 that's where this is all. That's where, I, I is agree heavy. with, I agree with this com- uh,
0: completely, Gary. And, and I wonder if we could maybe relate this now to the Fatima mystery in that the Fatima mystery seemed to involve Russia. It, it was the Fatima visions happened in 1917. And, of course, that was getting towards the end of World War One. It was also the eve of the Bolshevik Revolution. And the Virgin warned these three children that uh, there were kind of terrible things brewing in Russia. Russia needed to be consecrated to God by way of of the her, Our Lady, etc. And so Russia uh, played a role in these prophecies. Russia was under this communist system, which was very anti religion, uh, and that's now disappeared. Russia seems to be returning to Christianity and uh, standing up for Christians as well as real Muslims in Syria. Uh, maybe one of the reasons that Russia seems to be under the gun right now with this war in Ukraine that our media is framing as Russian aggression, but which many of us believe is really NATO aggression.
1: Absolutely. Well, um... At the time that uh, the Virgin Mary appeared to the three Fatima children, uh, World War I was still in progress. Um, the Bolshevik Revolution had not taken place. Uh, and uh, so Russia was still Russia. And, she, and our lady warned about Russia spreading her errors. And she said she said Russia. She did not say uh, Soviet Union. And so there's always been some question about that. At that time, and we went over this in a previous interview the other day, uh, there was a uh, a real problem that Russia had going back to the 1700s with abortion, when it was practically unheard of in uh, uh, most of the rest of the world. And, and by 1900, uh, it was being promoted by associations of uh, doctors, nurses, health care givers, midwives. And uh, uh, this, this really did have an impact around the world.
0: No, I, I didn't know that Russia was a pioneer in abortion. I knew that there were a large number of abortions under communism and those have continued to a certain extent after the fall of communism, but I didn't realize it predated that.
1: I didn't know it myself until recently. And uh, so, of course, when the Bolsheviks came in, the, the, it was still a, a criminal act, but it had been the, – the, the death penalty had been removed for transgressing that law by Peter the Great. So it, the, it was basically uh, unenforceable, or, or, it, or at least they chose not to enforce it. The Bolsheviks came in, and in 1920, they decriminalized it completely. In just four years, they had to recriminalize it because – it was wiping out the, 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 the population to such an, uh, an alarming degree that they even, even the communists could figure out that if, um, if the future workforce of, of the, uh, workers paradise was wiped out, you know, no, no more workers, no more workers paradise. So, so they tried to control it. They tried to, to slow it down. And so there was a, there was a pattern of, uh, of lenience and then crackdown. It's, it kind of seesawed back and forth. But um, it continued, even though illegal some of the time. And I think by the 1960, it was fully legalized again. And by 1965, uh, the number of abortions in, in Russia hit an all-time high of 8.5 million um, abortions that year alone. Wow! So, so. No wonder they have a demographic problem. Well, exactly right, and, they, and of course they have a drug problem. They have an alcoholism problem. They had a, gra- a brain drain problem during the Yeltsin years too. Even after the collapse of communism. So, for self-preservation, uh, the Russian government under Putin did two things. They they um, reinvigorated the State Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, and they set out on a campaign to rebuild, refurbish, restore uh, 30,000 churches in, in Russia. and they've got the state actively involved in, uh, in uh, uh, elaborate uh, liturgical worship in the in, uh, churches, not only in the ma- major cities, but even in small towns. Uh, President Putin goes to these small villages, and he'll visit these little small town churches and even participated in uh, one of these big pilgrimages to the uh, pilgrimage site of St. Vladimir the Great. I think about 35,000 people participate in that every year. He's, he's gone and spoken there before. So, uh, And then the other thing they've done is they have really clamped down on sodomy, which was decriminalized by the Soviets, and but now in the, in the uh, Russian constitution – As of January 2020, uh, by a referendum vote of 77 percent, the people of Russia voted to amend their constitution, recognizing matrimony or marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Now, some years ago, several years ago, Russia is defined in, uh, uh, in this constitution, the Russian Federation's constitution, as a christian nation and so uh but they still have not corrected this problem of the abortion now there's a lot of pro-life groups there in russia they may have tried to curtail it to some extent but it's still pretty much uh wide open abortion on demand and until they they do that until they fix that problem and, and criminalize it again and really enforce the law on that, um, it's it's kind of hard to take them completely seriously as a, as a Christian nation because that's really kind of fundamental, you know, the right to life.
0: Well, well, it also occurs to me, Gary, that the apparition of Fatima, warning against these errors out of Russia, mm-hmm. uh, it, it obviously was sending a message uh, in many different ways and, it, you know, taking it from, you know, I, I have training as a literary scholar and, in you know, interpreter in the humanities and so, when I look at something like this, I almost gravitate towards almost sort of a Jungian perspective of what is the archetype here? You know, what is the message from the deep collective unconscious of our you know deepest being? Or another, a simpler way of putting it is, what is God trying to tell us here? And so, what, what is God trying to tell us when He gives us this huge miracle? That's the biggest miracle of modern times, and involves the appearance of. Uh, of, of the Virgin Mary, the icon of purity, of feminine purity and motherhood. Uh, and first, of course, it could be correcting the drift in monotheistic religions towards too much of a patriarchal and male sort of view of things, because, of course, men have largely run organized religion and almost everything else, and somewhat you know, in their own image. So it, it could be correcting things in that regard. But also, remember, you know, it made me think of the. You know the, the the scarlet woman in Revelations is kind of a symbol of female impurity, and we're in the Kali Yuga, the end times, according to the, the Hindu cyclical theory. Uh, that's the, that's Hindu for end times, and Kali is the uh, demon, demonic quote, quote unquote goddess, goddess you know, of death, the goddess of death, right? Mm-hmm. So the the maybe what the God is telling us by sending us Mary as this miraculous apparition to a place where it's named after the leading uh, female (laughs) Islamic character Fatima, right? So, So Muslims are supposed to pay attention to this too, is that we need to connect with God through not just the divine feminine in general, but more specifically, the pure, uh, the uh, you know, the, the pure and spotless and virginal, uh, as well as the uh, the mother image, the nurturing side, this this purity side of the divine feminine, which has really been messed with in modern <clears throat> culture. Our culture today, I mean, the internet is just full of pictures of uh, of wanton women, etc., uh, etc. Et That's the, the cultural ideal has become. You know, the woman is supposed to imitate the man and run around doing sexual conquest, wear shoulder pads to work, uh, throw her children in daycare at, at six weeks or maybe even six days, uh, and not be feminine or uh, a pure virginal and then mother figure at all, right? So there's a war on that. And so maybe that's part of what God is telling us through this, this image, that, that our culture is now way overbalanced not only towards the masculine side of the divine, which includes trying to force women to be be like men, uh, but also, to the extent that we have a, a kind of a dominant female archetype guiding our culture, it's more, you know, the whore of Babylon, or the scarlet woman, or Kali, the goddess of death. So that, this is part of what I take to be, perhaps, God's message with this. What do you think of that?
1: Well, uh, prior to Christianity, I mean, women were little more than chattel property. And when uh, uh, the church became established in the role of Mary and bringing the Redeemer into the world was understood, then the status of women in society was greatly ennobled. Because the Christian women wanted to emulate uh, the Virgin Mary, and uh, and it was recognized then that they had an equal but different function to that of the men. And, and, uh, and you know,
0: she's also the Quranic uh, kind of role model for women as
1: well. Yes, I I've heard that. And in, in any case, uh, so uh, women can thank uh, the Virgin, uh, Blessed Virgin Mary as um, the person that uh, liberated them from, uh, as I say, from just being uh, just uh, uh, disregarded property and to having a recognized, exalted role in society. In fact, you know, they have the most important job that is. looks like we hit one of those
0: blips. Okay. Well
1: they have the, They have the most important role of um, of, beget, of, of, of carrying uh, delivering and then raising the next generation of children into adulthood and uh, so they play, a, they play an indispensable role in the survival of the human race and uh, if the um, abortionists have their way, well then of course the human race disappears, and all of which is, uh, would suit the devil just fine. Well, some of uh, these people
0: are transhumanists. They would rather just manufacture people in test tubes, I guess.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess, if they think they can get away with it. But uh, but in any case, uh, so when she first appeared, though, it was just to the three children, and they were reluctant to tell the adults about it. They were afraid they might get punished. They wouldn't be believed. But eventually word got out, and there was a film actually made by Warner Brothers, of all people. In 1952, Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima, and it was, you know, with some artistic license that they took, more or less told the story of of what happened to those children until more and more people found out about it and found out that um, a Blessed Mother was uh, appearing to these children on the 13th of every, every month, beginning on this day 105 years ago at Fatima, Portugal. And until finally, um, the people were asking for a sign to know for certain that she really was appearing to those children. And she promised a sign would be given to them. Well, by this time, the irreligious uh, secular newspaper uh, got involved and wanted to debunk the whole story. So they came to, to the COVID era uh, in Fatima. Where our, uh, 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 our lady was going to appear on the 13th of October. And when she did, when she did come, uh, the, the miracle happened as she predicted. And it was, uh, the a vision of what appeared to be the sun spinning in the sky like a pinwheel throwing off, uh, brilliant rays of light and different colors going in all directions but also appearing be hurling toward the earth many people thought it was the end of the world that they were earth was going to collide with the sun and they were terrified and the um it was about 70 to eighty thousand people there well the old secular press was there and they were terrified too and they reported what they saw accurately so i guess it made believers in them too you know
0: yeah, the, uh, the attempt to debunk this kind of remind me of the people who you know try to debunk like let's say a UFO sighting that is on it's on radar and you know it's it's got testimony from the military people that they found pieces of the crashed saucer and all this sort of stuff, and then the debunkers say, Oh, it was a uh, swamp gas. <laughs> you know? There you go.
1: <laughs> well anyway, so but what was what was the uh blessed virgins telling those children during those months that she was appearing well several things she said that um she predicted the name of a future pope pius XI. at that time the pope was benedict the 15th and she said that uh, during the reign of, of pius 11th there will be a a night will come that will be illumined by an unknown light and you will know then that the Second Great War is at is hand. Well, there was a, a strange appearance. Some people thought it was a, uh, an unusual manifestation of the aurora borealis. But it was not the typical bluish-green color of the aurora. It was uh, red. And it illuminated uh, all of Europe. It illuminated the skies on that night. It was uh, January 19th. 1938 and it was seen in some states like minnesota probably wisconsin too that same night and sure enough uh world war ii started uh, not that long after that you know germany marched into sudetenland in czechoslovakia and then um uh, ultimately uh britain got pulled into the war on uh, what was it september 1st september 2nd 1939 so uh, but this was predicted, and she said that this would happen because people had not heeded the warning had not turned away from from sin uh, had not saying said their prayers the specific prayer requested was the, the holy rosary, which had been around since uh, 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 the the tenth century and so um, she said also that this second more terrible war would come. And if people still did not turn from their sinful ways, a third and even more terrible war would follow. And it seems like we're on the doorstep of that. Yeah, that's now. that's
0: kinda of frightening because I don't really see people having decisively turned away from their sinful ways. Oh, you don't think recently. so? Really? <laughs> I mean maybe they have somewhere, but I just it doesn't kind of look like that's been the majority behavioral thing, but Hey, what do I know? Uh, only only God knows for sure. But yeah, it, it sure does kind of feel like the end times and you know, I've I've studied with Islam's leading eschatologist Sheikh Imran Hussein and his way of seeing these things really lines up we're very very close to yours. Uh it's uh it's interesting that people well, get to the same point for, through two different traditions.
1: One of the things that she said also she said I will come to ask for the consecration to my immaculate heart. She just kind of left it there. Well, it was uh, it was 12 years later. She appeared to Sister Lucy, who by this time was a uh, professed religious at a convent in Tui, Spain.
0: And she was the only survivor of these three children who had That's seen. That's
1: right. The other Africa. two children died during the Spanish flu epidemic. And uh, as was predicted. And at that time, the uh, Mother of God asked uh, Sister Lucy to um, have the Pope consecrate Russia, specifically Russia, to her Immaculate Heart. And, uh, she, of course, Sister Lucy had to work through the local bishop, and he had to convey the, the message to the, to the uh, Chair of Peter at this time, the Pope, uh, Benedict XV, who in 1920 had declared Fatima worthy of belief, had died. And then he was replaced by, uh, Pius XI. And Pius XI inherited a whole host of characters in the Vatican that, uh, did not want the, the knowledge of that apparition to go beyond the borders of Portugal. It was very much suppressed. And so, I mean, this this goes way, way back. And that could be a subject for another interview. But in any case, he was ill advised about what it was that the uh, Blessed Virgin Mary wanted him to do. And so it was not done. So he died in 1939, probably poisons from the evidence that we have as he was starting to wake up, figure out what was going on. Pius XII came in in 1942. He wanted to do the consecration, but he again was ill-advised about how it was supposed to be done. And and majority opinion holds that uh, it wasn't done as she specified. Again, it was done in 52, 10 years later, and once again, the formula that she requested was not used by the Pope. And the bishops, which were supposed to um, jointly carry out the consecration with the Uh, with the pope uh, did not participate and and i've heard reports i'm not sure it's true or not but it could be that uh, he had a revolt on his hands they didn't want to they did not want to do it i don't know if they were afraid of a, a backlash by the ussr i don't know i'm not sure but um then fast forward to 2013 2015 vladimir putin Shows up in the Vatican for his first state visit with Francis, who of course, uh, and, and we get into this sometime. Uh, I will have to tell the, the uh, listeners that uh, he's no more pope than I am, but he he uh, Putin is supposed to have asked Francis what about the consecration of Russia. This is very interesting because Putin is not a Catholic, mm-hmm. although although some. Russian Orthodox observers have commented on his abiding interest in Catholicism. In any case, he asked about this consecration of Russia, and he was rebuffed by a rather terse reply from Francis We do not discuss fatima. And now I know that um, some of the listeners will say, Well, hey, well, Francis just did the consecration of Russia on March twenty fifth. Well, it was a simulated uh, consecration and in in the italian formula that he used he referred to the to to the um the, the mother who comes from the, the 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 land from the sky and this is a title not given to the blessed virgin mary but to the pochi mama pagan idol that um that he brought into the vatican a couple of years ago uh showing uh, a, a, a very dubious marian devotion on the part of this of this so-called pope who uh, we believe is uh, people that work with me in this research is just a continuation of a series of anti-popes we've had now six of them over the last 64 years as the church is going down the tubes and the, the world is going down the tubes with it because the church is no longer uh, uh 11 of um of uh, grace and moderation in the world it's, it's just it's been completely eclipsed by this this false church
0: in and, and this perspective sounds a lot like what uh, Sheikh Hussein hossein talks about when he talks about gog and magog or uh, yajuj and majuj which in the quranic terms mm-hmm. spreading their evil you know they, they break through the barrier in the uh, in the end times and swarm all over the world and he identifies the western materialistic uh, zionist influenced world as uh, gog and magog and sees that the, the west has largely been taken over by these satanic forces and would would you tend to agree with that
1: oh absolutely and you know earlier you mentioned the, the scarlet woman right well you know the, the church is is referred to by catholics as the immaculate spouse of christ uh its foundation is the rock of peter the papal office um because catholics believe that christ established peter whose name petrus means rock as the foundation of of the of the church's government and doctrine and discipline and that this would be passed on to peter's successors well uh once uh peter peter's successor in 1958 was was taken out of the way and an agent for the for the new world order took his place well then we have the the scarlet woman you're talking about because the or i should say the harlot which is also referred to in the apocalypse uh the the harlot is dressed in purple and scarlet it says in the scriptures well uh that's the color of the of the Episcopacy and, and, and the, the bishops and the cardinals. That's the colors that they wear. It says that she sits upon two beasts. Well, the whole conciliar church, the whole anti-church that grew out of Vatican II, sits upon the foundation of these two beasts, the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. We believe, some of us believe, the beast of the sea is Angelo Roncalli, Johnny twenty third, who was given a political appointment as patriarch of venice which is built on the sea he had no previous pastoral experience never he never functioned as a parish priest he was always a diplomat and uh so he was put in that position and the beast of the earth we think is giovanni montini uh montini means mountains mountains are of the earth and there's three mountains in his coat of arms rancali convoked the council Montini ratified the council. So the council is bookended by these two anti-popes. And the whole structure of this false church, this, this harlot dressed in scarlet and purple rests upon, uh, the, these two anti-popes. That's the underpinning of the entire conciliar church apparatus. And the true Catholic church, which was, as I say, the Immaculate Spouse of Christ, which had as its foundation the Rock of Peter, has been completely uh, exile from Rome. So, so how,
0: how do you respond to people like my, some of my Catholic friends who would argue against you by saying that God is going to protect the Church by making sure that whoever is in charge of it, regardless of their personal qualities, somehow always orders the right thing in terms of their, you know, speaking ex uh, cathedra. Uh that belief, you know, of course, one of the reasons that I'm you know, a Muslim coming out of a Unitarian background is that I that just sounds like mythology to me. Uh, I'm, I can't <laughs> I can't be that irrational. I have to, you know, critique it rationally and say that's just highly unlikely doesn't look that way to me. But h- how do you respond to those? Kinds well, of
1: I thoughts? mean, Catholic, all real Catholics believe that the pope, uh, when he's defining faith and morals and imposing a teaching on the universal church, does speak ex cathedra from the chair, uh, and is infallible in those teachings. But he has to be the pope that does it. And any pope is not uh, protected that way. And people that would uh, uh, oppose this, I would say to them, you don't know your church history. You don't know the fact that uh, <laughs> in the Honorario Pontificio, which is the official index of bishops published by the Vatican Library every March, it gives an entire... Uh, uh, List in in chronological order of all the popes but parenthetically in between those popes it lists the names of all the anti-popes the Anuario lists 37 anti-popes in the history of the papacy not even including the modern anti-popes if you go to more uh, detailed papal histories like the lives and times of the popes by de montour in 10 volumes well you're going to find you know, 44, 45, maybe 50 uh, anti popes listed in there. So, you know, some of them not, uh, uh, that were not real important, but still false claimants to the papal chair. So those people were not uh, recognized by the church as being infallible in their teachings. And so these anti popes in the modern age should not be either. And well, uh, now, wondering
0: were any of these anti-popes from history widely acclaimed and, and almost universally believed by a great majority of Catholics to be real popes or not?
1: Oh yes, oh absolutely. Uh, during the time of Anacletus II, all the people of Rome believed that he was the, the real pope. Uh, nearly all the bishops of Europe believed he was a true pope. Only uh, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux knew that he was a fake. Uh, He had known him when he was a layperson. He was the son of a Jewish merchant. His name was Pietro Pierleone. He knew he was a totally corrupt individual. And sure enough, when St. Bernard went to Rome to investigate what happened, he found out that he had bought and paid for uh, the votes that he got from a majority of the cardinals. And he also learned out that a group of senior cardinals got together beforehand, before the main conclave, and elected uh, Gregory Papareschi, who became... Uh, innocent the second and so his election uh, uh, preceded the election of the anti-pope but this was not generally known to the uh, to the um, people of rome or to the Euro- uh, european bishops it was only after anacletus died that it, that um, uh, that uh, saint bernard was able to get a trial held during the second lateran council in which all of these uh, facts came out. Anticletus was declared posthumously to have been an antipope. All of his decrees were stricken from the books. The heresies that he uh, had allowed to be promoted uh, were completely disavowed by the church. And the bishops he appointed, with a few exceptions, were deposed. So the Catholics that would... would, uh, you know, discount what we're saying. They simply don't know church history.
0: Very okay. interesting. Well, you know, one of the reasons I always joke that, that I love Islam is that I hate organized religion. And, of course, that's not entirely true uh, or fair. But it it does seem to me that as one tries to organize religion, that you get these bureaucratic kinds of structures that then uh, attract power-seeking people like these corrupt people who became anti-popes and so on. And it just makes more sense to me to look at an institution like the Catholic Church as a bunch of human beings who are sometimes going to get either individual or collective divine guidance. In fact, they're always getting it. It's just whether they follow and listen to it or not. But the idea that there's this thing, a bureaucracy out there or some entity called the Catholic Church, which always has a correct pope, and if they're correct, then they're infallible when speaking ex cathedra. Uh, to me, I don't know. I'm, I'm just uh, I, I'm I can't resist just being a skeptic. It's Occam's razor tells me that the simpler explanation is the better, and so that's why I'm not a Catholic.
1: <laughs> but, well, uh, come over right. to my house and we can talk about
0: it. Well, there you go. And well, I'll have to have you back on the show. because there's so many more things to talk about? Uh, But certainly this Fatima apparition issue is one that could bring a lot of people together. I think Muslims in particular should be thinking about the fact that uh, Mary is such a huge part of our faith, too, and and Jesus is, too. And we need to communicate this to Christians because so many Christians don't know that. That's at least one of the important lessons, and there are so many others as well. Well, well, the
1: the conversion of Russia is exceedingly important. Because uh, Russia, if it if it becomes a force for good, with its massive military might, it will it'll will be able to um, uh, overcome the the new world okay. order.
0: Well, let's let's uh, let's uh, pray for the triumph of the forces put good over the new world order. Thank you, G- Gary Jaffree. It's been wonderful talking, and look forward to talking again.
1: Inshallah. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Thank you, Gary Jaffree back in the next hour for more talk about the Friday Night Apparition Anniversary that, fact, with Dr. Peter Chattanoff.